This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Health Storylines is a patient-driven digital platform for people to track and manage their health, but it is also a tool to enable drug and device developers to conduct decentralized clinical trials and gather real-world evidence. Alira Health expanded its digital health offerings with Health Storylines through its acquisition of Self-Care Catalyst at the start of 2022. We spoke to Gabriel Brambila, CEO and co-founder of Alira Health, about how the technology provides patients with greater control over their own health, how it's using it to drive decentralized clinical trials and the integration of real-world evidence in the drug development process, and the potential to leverage its Health Storylines platform to answer research questions outside of a traditional clinical study. Gabriel, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for inviting me, Danny. Pleasure. We're going to talk about decentralized clinical trials, Alira Health, and how Alira is using digital health technology to improve data gathering while giving patients greater control over their own health care. Alira describes itself as a global healthcare advisory and technology company. It's, <clears throat> excuse me. It's done a series of acquisitions lately, including a crowdfunding platform, a CRO, and a digital health company. Help us make sense of what Alira does. Who are its customers? How does it make its money? And what value does it provide? Yeah. So Alira Health uh, focuses on delivering services uh, to pharma, biotech, and medical device companies throughout the continuum of development of a drug or a device. So if you look at our services that go from a very early phase of development, which is called CMC, chemistry manufacturing control, through regulatory, clinical trial management, um, market access, real-world evidence. And uh, we do it with a very particular approach. Uh, about two years ago, we decided to go out in the market and buy technology that would empower, enable our services to be uh, more patient-centric. And what does it mean more patient-centric? It means that we focus on the collection of data through a partnership with patients to support our services throughout the whole continuum. It could be a decentralized clinical trial platform technology in a clinical trial. It could be a technology used in a patient support program in a, already in a commercial uh, a drug already in the market. So the idea is always to, the mission is to what is called humanize 
healthcare or democratized life sciences research. So bringing patients as partner in the different phases of development of uh, solutions in, in life sciences. So that's a different angle that we have. Yeah. Many of our listeners will be familiar with the challenges of conducting a clinical trial, particularly in the rare disease space, because those often involve small and geographically diverse patient populations. We've seen growing adoption of decentralized trials. This has been a long-term trend that's gotten a boost from the pandemic. Beyond the ability to make it easier for people to participate, are there unexpected benefits that have resulted from decentralized trials? First of all, let's define decentralized trials, right? So for me, when we talk about decentralization, it doesn't matter if it's full or hybrid, and we can discuss about that later if you want, but it's every time that you don't have to uh, go to a site to uh, enroll uh, a patient, or you don't have to ask the patient every time to come back to the site to be able to monitor his conditions throughout a particular therapy or a diagnosis. Uh, so what happened when you use decentralizing technologies that usually are defined as EPRO, electronic patient reported outcomes, or e-consent, or e-consultation or teleconsultation, uh, it's the fact that you're going to be able to reach a much more diverse population because you don't have geographical limitation. So the health equity component, the ability to enroll patients from different status, different geographies, and they don't have to be close to in an oncology trial to Mayo Clinic, MD Anderson, or Dana Faber. You can really actually recruit them from everywhere. That's, that's a big advantage, right? Uh, it's a big advantage. It allows a higher diversity in, in, uh, in, in clinical trial. And then there are the typical things, like uh, not having to go back to the hospital, not having to have a monitor to visit every time. There is lower cost, higher speed. But it's not applicable every time, Danny. Um, the market is not huge, as many people are talking about. Uh, it's a growing market, but there are still a lot of logistic limitations in using a, a full decentralized model when you run a trial. Well, what problems do decentralized trials solve and, and what challenges do they create? So in terms of solving, I think that the, the biggest problem in a, in a trial at the beginning is really how do I find patients? And you want to be able to find them in a bigger pool or bigger geography. And so when you think about the use of what is called e-consent, so the ability to recruit patients throughout a digital platform and not having to see them at a site, be a, a outpatient center, an inpatient center, that accelerates the whole process and creates a lot more diversity in the, in the, in the, in the recruitment. That's for sure. So that's great. The, the challenges, though, is that not every time you can apply that model, not every time you can use e, 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 a consent. For example, in the U.S., it's much simpler to use an e-consent than in Europe. Uh, there are certain markets where uh, the e-consent is not fully uh, validated for certain type of trials, thinking about my home country in Italy, for example. Um, so there are some technical limitations uh, around that, uh, for sure. And then there is also the need that sometimes you really need to take certain type of tests, right? A full decentralization means you don't have to visit the patient physically anytime during the study. Very hard, 
that not a lot of studies are like that. You still have to do a blood draw. You still have to do an X-ray. You still have to do a particular analysis at the, at the uh, and you still have to see the patient. So uh, that's why most of the decentralized clinical trials, I think over 80%, 90% right now, are done in what is called a hybrid model. You have maybe the use of the EPRO. You maybe have the use of an e-consent in just one part of the study, what is called a virtual site or a meta site. But still, you need patients to go back to the site to have certain things done. Um, so again, the hybrid model probably is the one that is the, the most, most utilized right now in the market in the United States and Europe. As sponsors and regulators have both gotten more experience with decentralized trials, what's been learned? Get a lot more experienced. I am, I put the question mark, Danny, because let me tell you this, I'm not the smartest guys on earth. Um, but in the last few years, because of all these acquisitions and money we had to invest in these acquisitions, we did a lot of studying and we had to understand a lot of the nitty gritty, uh, the small details of the technologies. And I have to say, a lot of the people that I talked to that are claiming to be KOLs, claiming to be uh, front runners in this uh, change of moving from a site-centric to a decentralized they do not know the complexity of running really from a clinical operation a clinical trial. And so when uh, people are saying, uh, and sorry if I get too technical, but maybe some people will understand, I, I can dispose of what is called EDC, which is the heart of where all the data are collected um, in, in a clinical study and just run everything through my EPRO, which is the dream of some companies out there, I think is a very difficult battle extremely difficult. So still 90% of the studies, phase one, phase two, phase three, not phase four, but phase one, phase two, they want an EDC because the data managers that are running the study, they are trained to use an EDC. So when we think about the learning experience is that the change between the site-centric to decentralized is going not as fast as people expected and is faster in phase four because you can really uh, not utilize an EDC and bring everything through an EPRO, it's a lot more difficult in phase two and phase three. So it becomes almost an addition to the standard model, but it's not totally changing it. And so that when you say uh, challenges, there are, very, there are a lot of technical challenges and legacy situations that you cannot change as quickly uh, that are slowing down the, 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 the penetration. I say that as a, one of the major players in the market. That's a challenge. That's a barrier. And we're coping with it. Even though the, the physical trial is decentralized, are you saying that the data gathering is not happening in a single platform at once? No, what I'm saying is that when you run a clinical trial, all the data that you collect usually go in what is called the ADC which is the heart of where all data go. When you decentralize, most of the players out there are saying, you don't need an EDC, just go through an EPRO. So the patient controls everything and all the repository goes up in the EPRO. That's a major change. And that change is not happening yet, especially in phase two, phase three clinical trials where pharmaceutical companies are reluctant to move away from a model they're very comfortable with 
where there are data managers that are driving the choice of a technology platform to run a clinical trial are dictating what they want because they are trained on that. So the change is slower because they're used to use a certain approach that is not as easy changeable, right? And so it's, uh, and the decision makers are really sometimes not the chief medical officer of the company, but data manager. The data manager will have to process the data. I always work with EDC. I'm not gonna move away from that. You can, you can sit on top of the EDC other technology to decentralize, but I still want my EDC. So that is the type of things that are happening in the market where, uh, again, it's, it's part of the process. I just want to be realistic with the audience and the people. It is an incredibly interesting market, is growing, but it's not yet the multi-billion market that uh, media or uh, other players are trying to say it is right now. Well, explain to me how Alira works with its customers with regards to a decentralized clinical trials. What role does it play in terms of design, recruitment, and actual operations of a decentralized trial? So Alira Health is there are different players in the market. There are players that are purely SaaS players and selling only technologies, and then uh, like a Medidata and doing very well, uh, or a Medable. And there are companies that are selling a consulting and service component plus technology. So we are part of this second bucket. And so we enter uh, very early, we enter at the regulatory level, even for an approval of a study. So we really impact the, the clinical protocol design, we impact the clinical strategy, and, um, and then we bring our technology. So technology is empowering services, is not a purely SaaS offering for Alira Health. And we run technology with our own data managers, with our own CRAs that are the clinical operators of a clinical trial. So it's, a, it's more of a bundle between technology and services, which is becoming very successful because the market is not as mature to just buy technology only. The market has to be educated on how to use the technology and our service approach might help in certain cases to convince the client to move to a decentralized model. Earlier this year, Alira acquired the digital health company Healthcare Catalyst and its digital health platform, Health Storylines. What is Health Storylines and how does it work? So Health Storylines is a little bit different than the other technologies out there. And we decided to go in and acquire them and we're super excited about it because it's the only that we are aware of is the only technology that is uh, um, engaging with patients even before there is a need of a clinical trial or the start of a clinical trial. So what happens is that uh, Health Storyline has been developed as an application for patients to manage their disease. So you go on the platform, you can download it from App Store, and you have the platform for epilepsy patients, for prostate cancer patients. And they use it to treat and, and manage, uh, to manage, better manage their disease and their conditions. Because of that then, and we already have 120,000 patients on the platform and so on. Uh, what we do then, we plug in, in on this app all the other parts of the platform that allows to collect clinical grade data from patients. So it's not just a platform that you deploy once you have a clinical trial and you recruit only for the clinical trial, is a patient community app 
that develops a community, and then we can tap into that community to run eventual trials. So it helps a lot from the recruitment perspective because you already have a patient community utilizing the platform that you can plug in into a, a clinical study or a real-world evidence study. How does this fit in with other Allira offerings to build out your capabilities in decentralized clinical trials? So it fits beyond decentralized clinical trials because Health Storyline works in the clinical environment to support our clinical operations and data management, phase two, phase three, and phase four. But it also supports our commercial services in a what is called a PSP, so patient support programs. Whenever you launch a, a drug, most of the times, uh, you launch also a digital PSP. So you launch a drug and you launch an app that will help the patient to, to correctly use or take the drug and, uh, and try to increase the effectiveness of the drug. So the platform, the technology, is also used for PSP purposes, not for only for clinical research, but for also commercial use. So it is really one single platform that can, that can support the whole spectrum of our services from uh, early clinical research to uh, product launch and commercial and lifecycle management. How much control do patients have over their own data and the data that's collected? Uh, full control, because whenever you are on the platform, for example, Self-Care Catalyst in the case, so Health Storyline, they, 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 they have a waiver they have to go through and, and give us access uh, according to HIPAA compliance uh, to their data. They know that that data can be used for uh, particular purposes. Um, they, are, they know they can be invited through the app to participation in clinical trials. So the most important part is really what? Is to, to develop the app for the patient first so that they download it, not because they want to be part of a study, but because they want to find an application that will help manage their condition. So you become partner with them that way. They're not just subject of a study. They're human people with a condition that we're trying to help to manage better their condition. From there, you gain their trust. And if you're very transparent on how you are recruiting them or informing them or educating them on how they're going to be involved in a clinical trial, uh, that's how we manage it. Uh, and obviously, then everything is HIPAA compliant and GDPR compliant, all the things that have to be done legally. But everything starts with from a real, true partnership with the patient at the beginning, independently from a clinical study. And what's the consent process like? And, and once a per patient does consent, how easily can they change their consent decisions? Oh, they can get off of the platform very easily. Uh, the consent to participate on the, in the app to manage their disease is one type of consent. And then there is the consent that you have to go through if you want to be part of a study. Uh, being part of a study in a real-world evidence study where it is non-interventional, so you don't have to take a drug. You're just part of a cohort, and they, and they monitor you. Is a, a, a type of light consent, I would say. Whereas when you go in a phase two, phase three, which is an interventional study, so you are supposed to take a drug and then be monitored for that drug, the consent paper is a lot heavier and, uh, and a lot more detailed. So depending on, on which study you are going to be enrolled in, or the, not even a study, just depending on just being registered on the app, the consents are very different and always very transparent. And we need to be very, very open uh, with, our, with our partners, the patients. There's growing interest in real world data, both capturing that and, and leveraging it. 
Are there ways Alira can leverage this platform to answer research questions outside of a clinical study for what using data in ways that it may not have initially been gathered for? Absolutely. And that's why we decided to buy uh, Line because they already have patients on the platform and independently from the study are, are filling their e-diary, are giving information about their conditions. They are talking to their peers because there is a community uh, feature uh, about their conditions. And therefore, all that data can be used in, a de, uh, in an anonymous way, uh, the identified, identified way can be used for real world evidence uh, analysis, right? Um, and that's what we do. And um, we have data in certain type of cord, could be net cancer, could be epilepsy, ADHD, uh, depending on the number of patients we have on the platform, we can run all sorts of analysis to help research, regulatory, and to help also to understand the effectiveness of a particular, um, of a particular, uh, let's say, drug or 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 uh, or, or diagnosis or uh, or therapy in a particular cohort. At the same time, what's the potential to for patient organizations to use this platform to? conduct natural history or other types of studies? We do have, that's an area of strength for ours because of ours, because they like that the fact that the app doesn't have to work only on a clinical trial, uh, inside of a clinical trial. We are, we have partnership with uh, over, I think, 10 now uh, patient advocacy groups and patient associations that are using the platform to um, uh, engage with their members, their patients or to even uh, uh, collect real-world evidence that then is used by sponsors to do their analysis. Um, I think we have different ones uh, uh, that goes from diabetes to um, myasthenia gravis, which is a particular condition, to asthma and COPD. Uh, so all those are public out there as partnerships, and we're very proud of those because, again, uh, the most important thing that the patient advocacy group has is the trust of their patients. The fact that they are selecting our platform to be deployed uh, to their members uh, with their members is a is, is a great honor and a, and a confirmation that it is a platform built for patients first. As you think about the work you're doing and and the ability to harness technology, how do you ultimately see this changing the way we we gather data and conduct clinical trials? Uh, as we said before, Danny. I think that the health equity component or the diversity component is, going to, is huge, right? Uh, the fact that because we had to go through site-centric approach, sometimes we cannot reach the, the minorities we would like to reach, the, the diversity we would like to reach. Even the FDA came out with new guidance about diversity in clinical trials. These new technologies allows that. And that's, that's great. That, that that's, I think, is a, is a major fact. Think about vaccines where... We didn't have enough real-world evidence data or clinical data for certain minorities, and minorities were not comfortable in taking the vaccine. So all that is going to be improved or changed, and that's great. Uh, beyond clinical trials, I think that there is a strong empowerment of patients uh, boosted by COVID-2. Patients now talk about vaccines, talk about clinical research, talk at their dinner table about phase two and phase three. I do that at home, and my kids now understand better what I do. <laughs> because uh, it's part of the media, it's part of the of what people are talking about out there. So the, the patient feels a lot more empowered 
So the patients understand now that their data, its data is very viable. So according to me, five years from now, seven years from now, patients will start to say, hey, what do I mean? I want to be paid for that data. So they're going to start to, to ask for uh, some sort of remuneration for the sharing of the data because that's very viable information. Uh, how to pay them, cryptocurrency or whatever, but uh, who's going to figure that out and going to be there in the next five years is uh, to, to offer that option to patients is going to be uh, on the forefront of innovation, according to me, because patients are feeling empowered now. They know that their data are very viable. They know that. <laughs> Gabriel Brambila, CEO of Alira Health. Gabriel, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.